Greetings, Princeps. Welcome to the 62nd episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus war game produced by Games Workshop. So in this show, we are going to be discussing the Iron Halos Titanicus event that I ran in September of this year. We're going to go through all three days of the events, discussing what went well, what didn't go as well, in my opinion, and some thoughts from around the community. I've got a few other tangents to make as I go, so I hope everyone enjoys the show and has a quick insight of where we are with Titanicus as a whole at the moment, on the eve of us getting the traitor book, all being well. Okay, before we get too far onto the show, we've got a few pieces of housekeeping to take care of. First up, uh, some personal news that will have relevance to this show is that I am changing jobs at the moment. Uh, I have been doing odd jobs, mostly driving a taxi around my hometown in Oklahoma for the past couple of years as the pandemic's raged on. Um, but things are about to change. Uh, I've just accepted a job teaching at a high school here in Oklahoma. Uh, it's going to be a fun and interesting challenge for myself. It's something I've been wanting to do for quite a while, but finally made the jump as an appropriate position opened up. But I'm going to be joining the school in the middle of the school year, and uh, yeah, I imagine it is going to eat a great deal of my time in the upcoming weeks. While the actual hours I'm working will go down, I suspect my free time is not going to go up by that much at all. But I am staying committed to putting out the God Engine cast as frequently as I am able to. And hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, as I learn more about what my school schedule is going to do to my life, I'll start being able to put episodes out into something that will feel a little bit more regular than what we've had. I think the biggest effect it's going to have in the short term is that I'm probably going to struggle to get guests onto the show. A lot of my pre-plans for getting guests on included a recording schedule that I'm no longer going to be able to keep. So we'll see what happens. Okay, with that, I want to pivot to the next important item. I want to thank the folks who support this show through Patreon and Ko-Fi immensely. Your support allows me to continue to do the show. So as always, a massive thank you for those people who support the show. If you wish to support the show, please take a look at the show notes for the links to my Ko-Fi or Patreon pages. I truly appreciate every last bit of help I receive. Okay, time for me to make a quick correction. In last week's show, I was discussing the upgrade to the Warp Conduit and starting to compare it to Vortex Missiles. I'm pretty sure this confused a great deal of folk, and a number of folk will have looked very strangely at their podcasting device. Yes, what I meant to say was warp missile. Uh, the vortex missile is the upgrade from the loyalist kit that makes the warp missiles incredibly powerful. But your standard warp missile is kind of weak, if I'm being honest. And I think the warp conduit based mutation is about comparable with a standard warp missile. On most titans, the warp conduit is going to be a guaranteed hit to a location, which the warp missile isn't and is going to inflict roughly the same amount of damage. A single strength 10 hit is about equivalent to the same as a roll on the warp damage chart on most Titans sort of Warhound Reavers. So yeah, I'm sure that section was very confusing for a number of folk. I had a couple of people reach out to me straight away after hearing that and being like, I don't get what you were talking about there, Martin. Um, so I hope that makes that segment a little bit clearer. And my apologies if I confused you. Uh, I'm going to try and do best, better to try and remember which way things are in the future. But uh, yeah, that one's not past me. I thought I'd caught it and I hadn't. I crept in the wrong direction or something. But anyway, but anyway, with all that said, uh, let's just get on to today's main topic. So the primary focus of today's show is going to be discussing the titanicus event that i ran at the iron halo gt this year the event was really successful we hit 10 players we played five slash six rounds of titanicus uh, we played over three days with some training missions being done on the friday before the actual event 
I've had nothing but brilliant reports back from all the players saying how much they enjoyed themselves. Before we get stuck onto the Titanicus content, let's just take a few moments to discuss what the Iron Halo is. Uh, because for most folk, it's just a piece of war gear for Space Marine Commanders in Horus Heresy and 40k. As an event, the Iron Halo GT has been running for the last seven years in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Now, Bartlesville, Oklahoma is a small town, medium-sized town, just north of Tulsa. Um, it's really famed for being the business headquarters of Phillips 66 and Conoco Phillips, and in many ways is a company town. It is the site of Oklahoma's first oil well as well, so it's a very historic town, very beautiful town. Always enjoy my trips up there uh, for work or for the Halo itself. So as I mentioned, the premier event of the Iron Halo is its large 40k championship game. This championship game is part of the ITC conference, but also is the final game in a year-long Lord Marshall's conference, which is the competitive 40k scene of Oklahoma. Um, the winner of the Halo is quite often the winner of the Lord Marshall's conference, but not always. Uh, and both awards are given out at the award ceremonies at the end of the con. It was also the only dedicated games workshop convention in the state. There have been others that popped up from time to time. There was the Slobberknocker GT in Oklahoma City. And there have been a few others around Tulsa. And since 2016, the Iron Halo has featured smaller side events, usually Age of Sigmar, some Horus Heresy, I Necromunda, and obviously, for the last two years, Titanicus that I have ran. Sadly, the event I am discussing today is the seventh and final Iron Halo convention. Uh, the primary organizer, Jason Horn, is hanging up his clipboard, having put together the shirt the show, the whole event for the last seven years, plus the associated Lord Marshall's Conference and numerous RTTs connected to it um, for, you know, the best part of a decade. So before I go any further, I just want to say once again a huge thanks to Jason for all his time he's put into organizing these events. Uh, he has done a tremendous job with the overall convention. Um, it always ran so smooth. Everything was there when we needed it. The staff were all fed. I've had wonderful food every day and there. Um, yeah, it's just a very slick experience, very well put together. And I know anything that seems like it's super easy to run, like he's made it, meant that he's put a lot of hours and time and dedication into it. Um, the community is going to miss the Iron Halo, uh, but he needs a well-deserved break, and I'm sure there'll be others stepping up to put together something more exciting for the future i'll discuss what that means for my titanicus event uh, at the end of the show so with all that said let's actually get on to discuss the actual titanicus content itself so as an overview the titanicus event ran for three days friday saturday and sunday with the friday night being a bit of an open play for titanicus I invited all the players, uh, plus anyone else attending the Iron Halo, to come along and learn how to play Titanicus that first night. I'd realized when I was talking through my players signing up for the primary event that I had a great deal of players who never really played Titanicus before. So I wanted to set aside a few hours to make sure everyone knew the basics of the game. I didn't want to have to be teaching everyone how to play during the event itself. As such, with the help of Lucas, I was able to put together two demo games and we were able to teach a couple of players who've barely played before the basics of the game to prepare them for the rest of the weekend. It was a very successful event and definitely something I want to do again. I think in the future, when I run other events, I'll be looking very closely at trying to secure a bit of open play on the Friday night during setup before the main gameplay on Saturday. Um, just allowing people to break the ice and go over rules and just get a sense of how I want to play the game, that sort of stuff, really helps. Uh, we demoed a couple of the missions. I generated some with the open war cards, like I did for all the missions in the event. And it just allowed everyone to get a sense of the feel of the weekend. It was really kind of nice. Um, also, afterwards, we all went out for a lovely meal, and it was just nice to spend some time talking Titanicus to a bunch of folks. Um, 
not on the other end of a screen, but actually in the same room. Not much more to say about that, but uh, for folks who are planning on copying my event, I do want to raise the sort of note that the best way to do demo games is to have two people play and then have a third person sort of helping both sides. Um, it's just a really easy way to play the game, and it's a quick... It allows you to speed the game through as well. Um, yeah, anyway, that's probably a topic of conversation for a future episode where we can really go into depth about how best to introduce people to Titanicus. Um, there are efficiencies and ways to make the game play a little better, and I need to take some of that into consideration next time I run an event like that. Anyway, I'm muttering and rambling. There's not a huge amount to say about day one, or day zero in a way. So let's go to the main event. The Titanicus event itself was run over two days, the Friday and Saturday, with three games taking place on both days. The core conceit of the weekend was there was a basic narrative being told, which established the reason why these Titans were fighting. This narrative followed on directly from last year's Iron Halo. The narrative of last year's event was that there was a forge world that was being established at the start of the heresy, and as the heresy started, the titans on the planet picked sides and declared war against each other. Uh, ironically, the winners of the narrative, the force that came out on top, was a Black Shield company of knights that was able to drive the engines off the table, um, uniting the world in a position against both the Imperials and the Warmaster's forces. So, as we looked this year, obviously, this state of events wasn't going to stand. And both the Loyalists and the forces of the Warmaster sent new battle groups to try and reclaim this valuable resource. But the flag of independence had been flown from this world, and it had acted as a rallying point for several other Black Shield Titan legions who were now prepared to defend the planet. This led to a standoff between the three core factions. We had a faction of Black Shields, a faction of forces sent by the Warmaster, and a faction of forces sent by the Loyalists. But there was an added wrinkle. Um, the Loyalist faction itself was divided. Uh, there was a group of battle groups that were sent directly from the Mechanicum. They were sent with orders from the Fabricator General. And then there were a group being sent with orders direct from the Sigilite and Dawn himself. Um, both these groups had slightly different orders about what was to be done with the planet, um, and that would be a point of contention later in the events. This basic narrative reflect was reflected in the tables that were seen at the event. Every table of... Um, play represented a different war zone that was found across this proto-forge world. The first table was a city fight table built with the Civitas Imperialis scenery. Um, the special rule for this table was that the buildings themselves were destroyable. I had rules to assign armor values to every piece of terrain and specially built ruins that the buildings could be replaced with should they be destroyed. This table was pretty dense with cover, there weren't many firing lanes, and was generally pretty well received by most players. The second table was the Manufactorum Imperialis table, uh, to represent the sort of refineries and the Manufactorums that scattered the planet. Um, this table was a lot more open than the majority, and this was the most open of all the tables. Um, the special rules on that one was the Rumbling Machine special rule that meant that uh, you could take D3 strength 4 hits if you stopped too close to a building. This really was trying to encourage people to stay away from the buildings, to maneuver around them, uh, and it sort of had the desired effect. Uh, day one, a lot of people sort of moved around the buildings. There was a lot of long-range shots. It was a pretty, pretty fun open table. Um, it was a really good contrast with that city fight table. The third table was the Aeronautica table, which was a large airport uh, with sort of planes and stuff ready to launch. Uh, it's to represent all the different um, ports across the planet, the mixture of starports and aerial fortifications. Um, overall, it was sort of midpoint on the amount of cover you could get on the table. It's pretty easy to hide knights and warhounds on this table and move them around the table. The larger titans struggled somewhat more. Um, there was only very limited 
cover for the War Master if it was to walk around this table. The special rules for this table was that there were some radiation markers that would float around as uh, leftover remnants from the previous wars. Um, if you were close to a rad marker, you would generate more heat, um, and these markers would be moved around by both players at the end phase, which led to some really fun micro-game interactions where a couple of times a very hot battle group would have the rad markers move towards them, um, resulting in some maneuvering that players didn't really want to have to make, which was really good fun. Um, led to some really fun moments of play. The fourth table was Sector Inexploratum, uh, otherwise referred to as the Hilly Table. Uh, this table was made with all the recent hills that I've been making. You'll see on my Instagram account. Uh, these hills stand about the height of a warhound and are covered in trees. Um, they had a large amount of blocking. In fact, it was the most obscured table at the event. Uh, there was a river that ran through it, which was difficult terrain. It was really hard to maneuver around the table. Um, a lot of times you would have to move directly over the hills, um, which you could do with the majority of Titans because they were deliberately built so that warlords and warmasters could easily step over them, but the reeves and warhounds were running around them. Um, the special rules on this table was that there were a lot of wildlife, and if you shot and you were too close to one of these hills, uh, stampede beasts could come out and damage your Titans, which I will talk about later because that hilariously happened a few times. Um, in addition, knights got an additional save if they were close to some of these woods. So we had the final table, which was a desert table. Uh, the scenery for this table was provided by the Lawton Titanicus crew. Uh, very happy with this table. It was really good, good-looking scenery. Um, I gave it the special rules of shifting dunes, so that if a titan moves outside its front arc as a backing up or to the side, you roll a dice and there's a chance you could suffer critical damage to your legs as the sand bogs you down. Uh, this was really good fun. It caused much gnashing of teeth from Corsair players. Um, definitely a special rule I'd like throwing on future tables. Um, messes up movement and makes people think a little harder about how they were going to play their titans. Um, together with some of the scenery that were really big, long ridges of rock, um, lines of sight were often obscured and people would have to really play around with moving. Um, it was a pretty good table from what I've heard to play on it, though I didn't get a chance to play on it myself. And that was the world. So you're looking at a mixture of cities and hills with a very varying mix of scenery. I was very thoughtful in the amount of cover I was putting on every table. The idea I was going to have is across the five tables, we were going to have two dense tables, two tables that sort of felt 50-50, sort of rugged, like it was pretty easy to hide knights and warhounds, and then we had one more table that was fairly open. The idea there was that there was no single set of weapons that would win on every table. Some tables were really good for people who wanted to shoot at long range, other tables were really good for those people who wanted to get in close and hide in scenery. Um, yeah, and I think it worked really well and had everyone thinking pretty hard. It also meant that every mission, although it was the same on every table, played very differently. So everyone had very different gaming experiences, um, and it mixed things up and kept everyone really engaged. I think it's about time for us now to go through the actual lists being played at this event. Now, I stupidly uh, lost my pieces of paper detailing what everyone was exactly playing so this is my best recollection of the forces we're going to start with the defenders my two black shield players uh, the first player uh, brian was playing a fun black shield list uh, he actually volunteered to be black shield he was actually running a custom legio uh, his legio traits were gonna recommand vanguard fighters with the specific stratagem marked prey and the war gear of macro magazines this is a pretty fun selection of options. Uh, Marked Prey itself is pretty powerful, especially with his list that we'll go through in a minute. And Vanguard's Fighters worked very well for his Warhound Heavy list he was running. So at this event, you were to bring two lists. One was a 1,250 point list. The other one was a 1,750. Uh, they were for the two size games. So his smaller list was a Venator Maniple with a Reaver with a Melter Cannon and Macro Gatling with Turbo Lasers on the roof. He had four Warhounds accompanying it, um, two of which were Bolter, 
hounds, two of which were plasma hounds. I can't remember which one's got the macro upgrades, but I think they were fairly consistent across the board. Um, pretty nice little small list. Kind of good fun. He may have only actually had the three warhounds, come to think of it, but uh, all four came to play in his larger list, uh, which included a Warmaster. His big list was the Warmaster Titan plus a Halupacol. It seemed to do pretty well on the table for him. Um, he sort of came middle of the pack at the end of the event um, and was very fun to see a Warhound on the table. Now, Brian also was a pretty new player. His first game of Titanicus was the Friday night where we did the practice game. So, yeah, have to say he performed really well. Uh, a lot of those games, the Warmaster survived, which was good fun. We will talk about a bit more about individual performances of list as we wrap up, I suppose. So the second Black Shield player was Josh. I can't remember exactly what Lee Joe he was running because he was running another custom Legio. I do know his Legio traits was Engines of War and Elite Magos, and I think he had secondary shield generators as war gear option and a stratagem that I've uh, forgotten. His straight Engines of War let him swap Warhounds for Reavers, as such he ran a Princeps Battleline Maniple, or Princeps Battleline Maniple, uh, with um, two Reavers, a Warbringer, and two Warhounds. Can't recall exactly what stayed home at the smaller games. Josh came to the event having played Titanicus before, but uh, not recently. It had been a fair bit of time, apparently, since he'd last rolled any dice playing Titanicus. So the next faction was the Martian Loyalists. These are the Loyalists who owe their loyalty to Mars. We had two players in this section. Uh, the first player was AJ, who brought a pretty unusual list. His primary list, the larger list, was a Corsair Maniple from the Legio Tempestus, and then a Lupical Maniple from Legio Ordax. Both these Legios were being ran as Loyalists, um, just put the cat amongst the pigeons, I suppose. His Warhounds were nearly all armed with Bolters and Plas in a standard pattern. Uh, his Reavers were armed with Turbo Lasers and Melters, the Lasers getting the extended range of Legio Tempestus. Next up with the Martian Loyalists was Robert, who brought a Legio Astorum Regia Maniple. Warlord with a Quake Cannon, Apocalypse Missiles with Jarrows, and a Power Claw. His second Warlord rocked two Plasmas plus Gatlings on the roof. His two Warhounds ran the standard Plasma Bolter. This battle group was supported by two Serastus Night Lancers. I believe every Titan also had auxiliary shield capacitors as well, uh, which was good fun. Or Bastion shielding is the word. That's the wrong one. Okay. Then we get to the Terran Loyalists. The first player in this group would be Lucas, our frequent guest on this show. Lucas came to make a lot of friends, so he brought his Legio Crucius Extermagus. He had three Warlords, and a single Warhound to round out the battle group. Two of his Warlords came with Gatlings on the roof. One had a second Gatling on the arm and a Plasma. The other one had dual Plasma on the arms. His other Warlord came with Missiles, a Volcano Cannon, and a Quake Cannon. And they all had uh, Gyroscopes for, you know, extra fun. Following on from Lucas's friendly list, there was John's incredibly cuddly list, which was, again, another Extermagus, this time from Legio Graphonicus. So we had a Warlord, two Reavers, and a Warbringer, with two Knight Lancers in support. So the Warlord was armed with the Gatling Cannons on the roof, a Quake Cannon, and a Sun Fury. The Warbringer had a Quake Cannon and two sets of lasers. Um, the first Reaver had the Turbo Laser on the roof, a Multi Cannon and a Power Fist. The other Reaver rocked Apocalypse Missiles and two Gatling Blasters. It was a really beautiful looking army. Uh, there are links to these photos on my Instagram. I should also say that Lucas's army also looked great, as did several of the other ones I've already discussed. Uh, I will come back and actually discuss painting a little more in a bit. So then, 
Finishing up the Terrans, we have Mark, who was playing a Legio Crucius reskin. It was his own custom Legion, but they used the Legio Crucius rules. He was running a Princept Maniple, uh, full, uh, one Warlord, one Warbringer, two Warhounds, and one Reaver. Warlord was armed with missiles, a Sun Fury, and a Volcano Cannon. His Warhounds were armed with Plasma on one, and Bolt... Megan Bolters on the second. His Reaver had turbo lasers on the roof, a Gatling Blaster, and a Power Fist. The Warbringer rocked in with dual turbo destroyers and a Quake Cannon. With both the Loyalist factions, I realise I've forgotten to mention their relative experiences. So, AJ is a fairly experienced Titanicus player, being my primary opponent, though we haven't played a huge amount in the last year for a great deal of factors everyone will know too well. Robert is fairly inexperienced with the other Martian loyalists. We've played a few times, and he played a fair bit at the last Iron Halo. Lucas, obviously, as someone who speaks regularly on the show, is a pretty knowledgeable player and has played a fair bit of Titanicus. John is one of Lucas's Friends down there in the Texas area, he's played a fair bit and understands the game quite well, but hadn't played in a little while before the event. Mark had come up from Lawton, where they have a fairly regular gaming cycle, but I don't think he's played Titanicus that recently, uh, but actually frequently plays against the winner of last year's Iron Halo, who was unable to make it this year. So that brings us down to the Traitors, uh, the final three players. First up, we had Brent, who was playing a Traitor Astorum Extermagus Maniple. This was Brent's first time playing Titanicus, though he spends a great deal of time talking about the subject. Uh, he is one of the regulars on the Maximal Fire Discord channel, uh, where I spend quite a bit of time hanging out as well. Uh, he's a great chap uh, and brought some truly gorgeous Titans with him. So the Warlords in his Extermagus had some pretty cool weapon options. The first one had Gatlings on the roof, one Gatling on the arm, and a Sun Fury for the other arm. His second one had a Volkite Destroyer. The Carpes had dual Macros, and then a Sun Fury on the other arm. And his final Warlord had a Quake Cannon, a Volcano Cannon, and dual Plasma Blasters on the roof really fun little list. He then had a support Warhound with a Bolter and Plasma. Quite a standard little Extermagus Maniple there. Next up we had Kyle who was running a Legio Infector Princept Maniple where he was rocking a Warlord with dual Volcano Cannons and Apox. Uh, two Warhounds uh, with um, one with Bolt Guns, one with Plasma. A Reaver with a plasma, with a melter, chain fist, and lasers on the roof, and then finally a standard Warbringer with Quake, Volcano, and Turbo Laser. A really nice little list, um, beautifully painted, uh, was the same list he ran last year, last year's Halo, where he played. Finally, we had Ben. Uh, ben was a late addition to the event. Uh, the Necromunda event that was supposed to run alongside Titanicus uh, fell apart at the last minute. Uh, ben asked if he could join. He did. His miniatures he was hoping to use never showed up because someone was going to bring them with him. Uh, so I lent him my Volcanum for the event. Where he ran my Volcanum in a Ferox Maniple, uh, one Reaver, and then three Warhounds backed up with a pile of Sarastas Knights. He only played day one. Uh, he had to drop out at the end of the day. He had stuff going on on the Sunday, so I picked up the force and played as a ringer in the final day. Before the first game of the first event, he'd never played Titanicus before, so he had a little bit of help from me on the first game. I walked him through a lot of stuff. So uh, Benjamin's performance there is sort of half him, half me, which was kind of fun to do. I got me a chance to actually play some dice, and the game, it's, the event itself ran itself fairly well. But that sort of concludes the brief overview of who was playing and what they brought. I think we can draw some conclusions from that. Um, and I think, yeah, we'll segue to that now as I sort of discuss the results and the actual play of the event. So let's do a quick overview of the event. The mission pack that we use is available 
as an attachment on this episode in the show notes in the show's description on several of the facebook posts about this event on my instagram as well uh, you can go and click on that link and read through the mission pack you can even steal it for yourself and use it however you feel fit uh, the missions themselves are pretty basic every mission starts with a bit of fluff to describe what's going on in the war a deployment map a primary mission and then three secondary objectives which you choose one of which to play uh, there were f- six rounds of missions we actually only played five because after a discussion with the players sort of everyone went out for pizza at the end of day one we decided we'd rather sort of stop the day a little early so the people with long drives home could actually make it before really horrendously late um, so we wrapped up after game five which was about 2 30 in the afternoon on sunday which gave plenty of time for most of the folk to, be able to make it home before too late on though a few people did stay after after the event and play the sixth mission um which was kind of good fun as well so points were scored in numerous ways throughout the event um first uh, you scored honor by whether you won the game and whether you stopped the opponent from scoring victory points you also then earned glory based on the number of titans you destroyed against the number of titans that you lost uh, honor was pulled together within the faction and divided by the number of players in the faction and glory like i said was just a personal accounting to see who was doing best in the faction so after five rounds the score was such blackshield players had a total average honor of 5.5 traitors had 8.3 the loyalists had five and the loyalist terror had 8.7 which meant by a very very narrow thread i think it worked out as one single honor point the victory went to the loyalists that meant that the winner was the loyalist player with the most glory which was lucas at 32.3 a very good victory there for him a note should also be made that uh, brent of the traitor faction who was as i said just a single point of honor behind the loyalists also scored a glory of 32.3 so that one difference in honor between the two factions resulted that lucas won instead of brent so an awfully close victory there for lucas but a really well done one for him so before we start getting too deep into the discussion about what contributed to the exact results uh, i just want to take a moment to talk about hobby scores as i've mentioned in the past i did an entire episode on my paint judging system the paint judging system worked pretty well i judged everyone's armies during play so i went from table to table looking at miniatures filling out the matrix we ended up with a series of players sitting at a total hobby score of 32 and i had to come up with a bit of a tiebreaker in which i got the three best looking armies to put on a table then i got the judges for the age of sigmar the overall judge jason and one of the judges from the 40k event to come and look at the uh, collections and vote on which one was their favorite uh, after that the win went to john stanford and his gorgeous looking legio graphonicus some fantastic weathering some really well put together models and also some really fun looking terminals he sort of made some custom terminals and they were just really nice and added to the aesthetic of the entire game board um which was something pretty cool um yeah but overall the painting quality was really high even the guys who'd come up with what they considered pretty basic paint schemes of just washing and doing the armor plates as i asked as a basic did really well um yeah very happy with it so let's just go and sort of skim through the results and see where people came relative to their experience and some of their stuff they brought so as i said in first and second place we had lucas and brent these guys ran virtually identical lists and they finished with almost identical scores lucas is a very experienced player brent is a very knowledgeable player both use their extermaguses to maximum effect i think the legio crucius and legio astorum rules tie very closely together to make very resistant titans both these lists had three warlords that were virtually impossible to bring down and that can be seen in their total glory score very few opponents tabled them very few opponents were even able to take down a single titan more than one of brent's games finished with him having lost zero titans which was very impressive and very well done i think the slight difference in total honor between lucas and brent can be put down to lucas's ability just to play the game a little bit better due to those added couple of games before the event but i think they would probably 
they may finish the other way around if the event was played out. I have a feeling luck was more of a factor than anything else there. So then third and fourth place was Mark and Josh, again running two very similar lists, both running the Princept Maniple. Um, Josh obviously running uh, one more Reaver than the Mark's set selection. Uh, both these lists did really well again. Um, they lost a lot more Titans, but they were pretty good at taking enemy Titans out. I think there's a lot to be said for the Princeps Battleline Maniple. Although it's not as fun as the Extermagus with its additional plus one strength, the ability to ensure that you get the orders you need is very valuable. Both these players, both Josh and Mark, are very experienced at playing war games in general, and they both are able to use that guaranteed, almost guaranteed, order roll to strong effects to win quite a few of their games and at least punish their opponent for taking titans out it should be noted that uh, mark who officially came in third on my rankings scored more honor than josh but josh did score more glory so josh was slightly slightly more fortunate and able to take out enemy titans and take less losses himself which i think may be a something we see from the elite magos coming through the ability to be the ability of elite magos to repair titans a little bit more reliably than legio crucius but the ability to gain re-rolls in the repair phase is something that all the top four players share and i think that's something we need to bear in mind that re-rolls are really good and the ability to control your damage control phase is powerful next up we have aj in the middle of the pack aj's list was really interesting running the dual mana pole Going into the event, I was a little worried about AJ's dual maniple setup. I wasn't giving his opponents any additional stratagems to counter the fact he was running two legios, and was worried they would be um, something overpowered about his list. Uh, that wasn't the case. It was actually fairly well balanced, which surprised me and made me pretty glad. It will mean that future events I'll be able to allow for a similar stratagem system where you just pre-pick six points worth of stratagems at the start of the event and don't really worry if the opponent's bringing two legios or not. As it was, I think AJ was moderately successful, though his luck did abandon him numerous times, which is about bar the course for this particular player. I'm really sorry, AJ. I think so we'll leave it on the reviews. The bottom five players played really well, but I don't think there's going to be much to gain digging through what events resulted in them coming near the bet bottom. Uh, I think the fact that the top two players both were pulling out that full extermagus I think a lot of the players just didn't really know how to handle them. Um, it's definitely the case for Brian down there with his Black Shields, with his Warmaster, which everyone had a great blast playing. He's still very new to Titanicus, and the Warmaster is a challenging Titan to use. Very happy that he brought it. I know he enjoyed himself, and uh, props to him for playing the good game. Um, and I really enjoyed our sixth game we played together at the end of the event. Uh, similarly, John, who brought the other Extermagus, had some trouble uh, keeping his Reavers cool, which was a problem when you ran up against those bigger Titans that you were needing to push for that extra strength more than he probably intended to initially. Okay, so trying to bring everything to a conclusion, I think what I'm going to do is go through some questions I had about the event and see if I can answer them as best as I can. So the first question I got from Alex from the Maximal Fire podcast was, when I ran the event, uh, did I also incorporate the extended campaign rules regarding surviving princeps? Uh, what would I do to improve a campaign game and immersion development? So I think this is a good point for me to talk about what I did to simulate the campaign play of the event. I didn't use any rules about surviving titans this year. No experience was kept. There was no penalties for when you lost titans. All that had been scrapped. I ignored all of that from the core book. What I had was a deck of cards that had been put together by the Oz30k guys. They were upgrade cards you were meant to earn through experience points in a campaign. But uh, Lucas had actually made, had the cards delivered to him. They were actually this lovely set of cards, small little ones. And I'd emptied them all into a bag, removed some cards that were not relevant. And then players literally drew cards out of the bag at the end of every game. If you played a game, you get to draw a card out of the bag. If you played a game and won, you got to draw two cards and you put one back in the bag. These cards were individual items experience for members of crew. And you got to play them on your titans at the start of the game. They didn't have to go to the same titan all the time. You could just use them whenever and however you want. Uh, so at the end of the event, you, you would have four of these upgrade cards that could buff titans. 
it worked really well gave a little bit of extra flavor to every game uh, there was some really fun stuff out there i know someone got a fun upgrade that because of warp trickery they were able to make opponents re-roll dice which was hilarious um other people had stuff that basically allows them to move faster without generating heat allowed them to flush heat quicker um occasionally people would get cards that were kind of useless because they repeated skills they had already but there were some really fun stuff and it was a bit of a look and draw mechanic and uh, was good fun uh definitely going to do that again in future events it's simple it's quick and it adds a feeling of narrative without a huge amount of work or bookkeeping and after last year's iron halo where i was tracking experience giving people upgrades yeah it's just a lot of work to do in a event you just want to move on you don't want to be spending a lot of time updating character sheets between rounds at a two-day event i can see that working if you were running a longer-term campaign in a gaming club or something but we weren't so we weren't bothering with it so the next question was from russ h uh, he asked what manacles would run what was common and what would legio's people brought well i sort of dealt with all those questions before um I do want us to point out that I was very surprised by the lack of diversity in the maniples. Um, everything was pretty cookie-cutter. I think we used like three or four, and there weren't even that many variations from that. Um, surprised by the appearance of the princeps, but like I said earlier, it's a pretty simple maniple to use, and a lot of people just wanted something simple. Uh, I thought I'd see more axioms, but there you have it. People changed things up and all went the same sort of way. So the next question, actually, from one of the attendees, uh, Brent asks, how did I come up with the story and any tips for setting up narrative for future events? Basically, keep something simple. Uh, the world we were playing on is one I've been playing around with a while, so I've got a bit of background fluff. And uh, I just wrote out a very simple story. I said, this is what was happening, this is what's happened, and then I've sort of let the players develop the story themselves within sort of a guideline rails. Uh, writing a narrative for the Horus Heresy is pretty simple. You pick a point of the heresy, you decide why there are forces approaching that location, and then you sort of let them go once you've set up the necessities for the games. Um, it's pretty sandbox once the games start, and you just let the games play out the narrative. I have to say, this event was more narrative-like than I wanted it to. I wanted to take more time discussing the story, but that sort of got away from us as we just got down to actually playing the games, and there was a lot of people trying to play catch-up with learning the rules. Next event I run will be a lot stronger in the narrative. Um, I'm going to have to have a long sit-down and think about how exactly I'm going to do that, but I want something with a bit more storytelling, a bit more RPG-ish nature to it, which I think ties into Brent's second question really well. We had a widespread of player experience levels, a uh, mix of some highly effective and not-so-effective lists. Uh, did any of the results surprise me? Um, well, yes. I mean, Brent, the person who asked the question, his personal results surprised me. I was very surprised that he came in second. I didn't think he would do as well. Um, shows that he's actually got a good idea of how to play the game. Um, but I don't know. It was a very odd event when it came to actually looking at, say, player rankings. Um, I'm pretty confident I know why everyone who came near the top came near the top. And the folk who sort of came near the bottom, I also know why they were near the bottom. And quite often it's not because of dice rolls or because of the person. Um, they either hadn't played much, or in the case of the person who finished last, they were not very well that entire event. Not COVID illness, but they had other stuff going on. And uh, they literally had to not play a game at one stage. And that sort of stuff is going to make sure that you always finish near the bottom of the pile which is a shame and i don't really want to you know it's not a tournament it wasn't a competitive event and actually that ties into the other thought i want to although we've just gone through the rankings and we sort of pointed out the exterminators very well it did very well for what metrics i was tracking i was tracking the ability to win a game stop an opponent winning scoring more than 15 victory points and how many titans you could kill the exterminators players did that all very well what i wasn't really tracking was you know all the other stuff that goes into a game of titanicus was the opponent scoring their objective and i think the next time i'd run an event with a competitive angle to it uh, i might actually probably pull back on the competitive nature of my events more in the future this was a little bit more comp than i was comfortable with um if i go further down that route if i decide to do a more competitive event i'm just going to track battle score a uh, derivative of your actual total victory point score i think if we were to do that the points would 
the scores would move around a bit. I know AJ did pretty well, scoring pretty high on victory points in several games, despite the fact he didn't really actually get much glory. Same is true with John, who was pretty near the bottom of the pack, but he had some outstanding victories near the start of the event, um, which didn't really show up in his scores because he was losing a lot of Titans. Um, which I think is going to be how I have to handle the next group. I think I need to look at... Reducing the penalty for losing your own Titans on the scoring system. It should be a second matrix, something more of a tiebreaker than um, how I'm doing it at the moment. Um, glory is an aggregate of Titans you've killed versus Titans you've lost. I think it just having engine kills and engine lost as two separate statistics that we can tiebreak against may be a better matrix to roll that with and will give a better indication of performance if I really wanted to care about that stuff which we will see in the future events. We'll see how the winds of chaos take me. So the next question was from Richard Wills. He asked, anything I'd do differently uh, next time? Option rules, banned lists, and the like. Um, I think this comes up, as I was just saying, I really need to look how I'm scoring the event. Um, that was my big take-home. Is sort of Halfway through the event, I realized my scoring system wasn't really working that well. I didn't want to change halfway through. We were going to finish the event and just have it done. Uh, so next time I'm going to pay a lot more attention to the narrative. I'm going to score based on victory points rather than this honor system. In fact, the honor and glory system was a legacy of the campaign system found in the uh, Titanicus source books. And I wanted to stick as close to it as I could, but I think, it's, I think I'm done with it. I'm done with trying to retrofit the Titanicus campaign system. Um, and I'm just going to go on and do something completely different next time. Not saying it wasn't good and didn't work for this event, but I think I can do a lot better by just starting fresh with a different system. Richard's second question was on rules queries. Um, yes, we didn't have many. This is one of the big things about this event. The event ran very smoothly. There were a few contentious rules queries, but mostly it was check the book. And uh, once I sat down and looked at the rule book. The answer was pretty clear to everyone. There wasn't any point I had to adjudicate on any decision. Uh, I would point out there was one point when we were talking about firing arcs, and I made a good decision. Someone asked me how to calculate a firing arc, whether a well, someone asked me whether a Titan was in an arc or not, and I glanced at the table and said it was. Um, their opponent was like, "I don't think you're right about that because uh, the center of the base isn't within the arc." And I was like, "That doesn't really matter." And then I went and checked the rule book, and I had to eat humble pie. Um, so yeah, I think actually the event was pretty self-regulating. Uh, I made a couple of calls, and then players were able to explain in the rule book why I was wrong, and we just changed it back where we needed to. Uh, I could have changed how I was announcing a little better. Uh, communication between players was a bit of a problem in the hall we were in. I didn't have a good PA system, and people came and went throughout the event, so spreading information throughout the day was slightly problematic i think the one big rules crisis we had was on the nerf i applied to the perforians so i had taken blast and barrage off the card and um it was pretty clear in the event pack that one of the players who brought the perforians hadn't read the event pack properly um so wasn't using the agended profile. <sighs> this created concern on like the second game. Because he'd already used the rules in the way that I didn't want them used, but the way that they are on the card, I made the lateral decision just to stick it out and keep them ner uh, remove the nerf for the event. Uh, I felt it was the fairer and simplest way forward. But yeah it wasn't the greatest moment uh, which I think tags us to the big takeaway I've got for the event okay so that segues us nicely to the big question and the big thing I wanted to talk about and at the same time the subject I wanted to not talk about at all um, several people asked me uh, what's my biggest lesson learned for running the event and one of the players in attendance also put a kind of pointed question out there asking me what am I going to do in the future about players who show up unprepared for the event so yeah at the start of the event we had a 
two players show up who had not written lists for the event, despite the fact I asked players to show up with a list, and I had a player showing up wanting to use unpainted models. There were reasons for this, and very valid reasons, and um, I solved the problem. Um, we moved some stuff around, had lent models to some folk, moved, had people lend other models, and the issues were resolved. Um, but it took time. It was time at the start of the event. I wanted to be focused on setting the narrative, getting everyone hyped up for the event. But instead, I was running around helping folk put together a list. Uh, stuff that I could have been helping them with weeks before via email, and which I had done for several other folk. Um, there was part of me that felt pretty disrespected that they just walked into my event without having read any of my supplemental material that I put a lot of time into writing. I don't think it was intended as that by the people involved. I'm being very careful not to call out names, and if you noticed, I didn't mention which player brought the Knights Praforian, because I don't want to mention who forgot about the rules. Um, it's not important, and I'm not wanting to say these players did anything wrong. Uh, last year, it is exactly how I ran the event. I built lists at the start at day one, so I'm not upset that they didn't know. Um, I am, but I'm no, I understand why they didn't know and why they suspected they could get away with just showing up without lists. But, yeah. Um, next time I run an event, obviously there won't be a next year Iron Halo. It is something I'm going to have to be a lot more loud about. I thought I was doing a pretty good job at communicating with my players attending the event. But I don't think I was. Uh, some of that ties down to how the event was managed behind the scenes. Uh, you register for the event by going through the Best Coast Pairing as app, at which point I had to beg and borrow an email address from the event organizer. And the email I had to contact you was the uh, sign-up that you used for the Best Coast Pairings. And if it was an email address you didn't check much, the chances of you actually seeing my communications were fairly low. In fact, there were several players I had to go out my way to track down ahead of time. Next time I run an event, I'm going to have a sign-in system where I get your contact information, and I am a lot more open to communication with you. If you sign up to my event, you're going to make sure I have a way to talk to you before the event so I can help you put your list together and get everything done well ahead of time. As I said, it was annoying that we had people who showed up without having done the appropriate prep work. But our communication systems failed, and I don't think they realized how much prep work they needed to do. And that's something I'll address in the future, and not something I'm going to dwell too much on for this last event. But it has cast a bit of a shadow over the event. I had to scrap a few of my plans, and it wasn't as smooth as I wanted it to be. And it was less than ideal. So I want to be pretty clear as we finish up the segment. I'm not blaming the people who showed up unprepared. It is my fault that I didn't communicate properly. And if you've been listening to this event and you've been listening to how I've been organizing it, really take that lesson. Pre-planning with your players pays for itself day of. And whatever you're doing, keep in mind that whenever you create a complexity in your event pack, you're going to have to work out how to communicate it with your players before they get to the game. Because day of communication about details in that event pack can be really hard. Despite the fact everyone had a copy in their bag, um, they didn't necessarily notice the FAQs I'd made, the chain, the errors to the systems. Um, and because of that, I'm going to rethink all of those changes. Which actually is something we will segue to now, and we'll actually review some of those errors and things I would do differently next time. So going to this event, I made some pretty big changes to the event from last year. I'm just going to run through some of the ones that I felt were the most profound and talk about whether I would continue with those changes in the future event. First of all, card terminals. I insisted everyone use them at this event. Yes, this will continue into the future. The event ran a lot more smoothly with everyone using card terminals. I had a couple of people using terminals that they photocopied and made themselves. Uh, this was fine. I am going to have to be a bit clearer in my language that the terminals need to be usable. Uh, we had someone using a damaged terminal. I mean, it's not their fault that the terminal was damaged. I should have offered to replace it with one of mine for the duration of the event. It did cause some minor problems. Um, so a little bit more being clear about how terminals 
need to be on the table is probably in order. It is a key part of the game, uh, being able to look at your opponent's terminal and ensure that they're not cheating makes for a smoother game experience. Um, I'm not saying anyone is or did. Um, as always, it, like the discussion of the e-terminal system, it's just a matter of trust. And in a large event, you don't necessarily have that with the opponent opposite you. And it's just easier for everyone if things are open and clear. At the next event, I'm going to run only a single points value. While I enjoyed the smaller points value game, I don't think it really plays much faster than the 1750, and it's just a little bit easier to organize if I just have everyone running one similar list for the entire event, uh, unless I do something incredibly dramatic and push the entire event to a large 250, which I kind of want to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, the first FAQ that I'm probably going to wind back at the next event is my FAQ on the Vortex Missiles. I had limited it to only being able to be taken on Princeps Signoris Titans. I think I'm going to change that to a single one per maniple. Um, it's basically the same, but allows people to take it on Titans that aren't their Princeps Signoris, which gives a little bit more chance of people actually taking the upgrade, as I didn't even see one in play, which is a good thing probably, but... It is a thing that I think people need to have the ability to take. Um, it may have actually helped with the walls of Extermagus Warlords we had at the game. My nerfs to the Acastus Knights uh, are going to be undone. Um, I barely saw any murder turtles at the event. There were only a few running around. And with the other changes I've made to the event, the change in scenery, increasing basically the density of scenery on the tables, um, really helped neutralize their threat um they didn't seem to have much of a they weren't the defining feature of the event like the murder turtles were last year that said i'm still unsure what to do about night households i have received some feedback uh, saying that people wish they could have taken night households at my event i don't know night households are in a weird place in the rules at the moment i really think they are too powerful um, and they're just hard to balance. If I knew I had a game of, or an event which was going to be filled with people who knew the system really well, um, and had played a lot, or at least talked about it a lot, like we were all people who all hung out on the maximal fire server, and we talked about it on WhatsApps and stuff, like we were all deep in the game, and there was no no one who was like, I don't think I understand the game. Yeah, sure, Night Households probably come out to play. But if you're someone who plays it once a year, comes to my event, that's the only time you're going to play the game, I don't think there's a place for Night Households. They're just a little good. Um, I mean, I probably could make the same argument for Extermagus Battleline Manifolds, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting problem. But with that, I think that wraps up my wandering conversation about the Iron Halo. Um, I had a great time running the event. I had a great time playing in the event on day two. Uh, I had a great time hanging out with everyone on the two meals we went out for on after day zero and day one. And I'm really looking forward to putting together an event in the future. Now, as I said at the opening of the show, I've recently got a new job. Uh, that means I'm going to have my summer holidays. Um, while I expect to do a little bit of work here and there, I'm going to have a lot of free time. So I'm going to start putting some thought into trying to find a location to run my own event sometime in the early summer. So if anyone out there knows of a gaming convention going on in the Oklahoma, Texas area um, at some point in the early summer, let me know. And we can try and reach out to that event to see if we can find space for a couple of gaming tables for Titanicus. Um, I don't think Titanicus is going to big enough to be able to get a convention space by itself. And ideally, I want to keep away from events that are already running Horus Heresy events. There is a lot of crossover with the Horus Heresy and Titanicus, and I think it'd be nice to run an event that is just there for people who want to show up and play Titanicus and don't have to choose what system they are doing. Um, and hopefully I can find something sooner than later and I can start planning a 2022 event but if i end up having to take the year off that is also fine um running events are kind of time consuming as many people noticed to the lack of podcasts this summer uh putting together the event pack building the scenery 
just kind of at a lot of time. And when I finish this podcast, it will put a lovely bow on what had been a very long three and a half months of work. So with that, I am going to finish up this episode by including uh, two sort of testimonials, if you were, for the event. Uh, first of all, I have a audio recording sent in by AJ, who's going to talk about his experience of the event and what he thought and what he liked. And then I've got a short email I'm going to read from Brent, uh, who says some very nice things about the event. Hello, my name is AJ, and I run a Legio Tempestus battle group. The Iron Halo was my first actual Titanicus event. I found the narrative focus and the tables to be very memorable. Each of the tables had their own specific world rules that made for some very fun shenanigans. From a forest table that had hordes of rampaging beasts that could knock the legs out from under titans, to a desert planet where the hot sands made venting plasma nigh on impossible, there's a lot of fun things that happened. Uh, I've made several friends and look forward to playing with them again in the future, and I look forward to going to different Titanicus events as well. So in addition to AJ's comment, I also got a great email from Brent. I'm going to sort of summarize what he says as the email itself is fairly long and I don't want to ramble too much about stuff I've already covered. Um, but he has two points of focus. One, he wanted to thank everyone who attended for being incredible people. Uh, Brent is disabled and spent the weekend in a wheelchair um, and everyone was super accommodating for him. Um, I know I saw several times players putting down dice on different tables to go and help him do stuff. Um, gaming events can be a little bit problematic for folk who can't get up and move around tables very well. And uh, I just want to thank everyone for being awesome people. Um, it was incredible to see such inclusive gaming. Um, it can be pretty difficult at times, and I know we've had problems with that in the past, so it was pretty awesome. Other than that, uh, Brent wanted to go on about how I made an event that had spent significant time ensuring that every player got some unique moments. No one played the same game twice. Everyone had a few moments in every game where stuff happened that wasn't going to be recreated and had led to stuff they could talk about at the end of the night. Uh, unique moments like a perfect kill box that AJ put together that he was able to warp displace his warlord out of. Uh, moments where titans would just start blowing up and blowing each other up, which is kind of what happened to me several times. Which is where I'm going to take a moment to discuss my favourite moment for the event. I played a game against AJ on the second day. I was filling in for Benjamin, who had to drop out. So I was using my Lijo Vulcanum against his wonderful combination Lijo, and we were playing on the hilly table with all the giant beasts running around in it. And I was playing pretty aggressively, trying to secure some objectives. And on turn three, I had done pretty well, pushing AJ completely out of one of the flanks. I'd cornered him up in the one corner and was pretty close to finishing his army off. I unleashed a round of shooting that didn't do a huge amount, but kind of got to a place where I was pretty close. I was gonna, gonna be able to secure the final objective and win. And then I rolled to see what the woodland creatures did. And a huge swarm of them came out of nowhere, attacked my damaged Reaver Titan in the back. It was damaged in the body, but it was okay. The shields were back up. It was just not very healthy. But I was pretty comfortable it was going to be a survive whatever firepower AJ had remaining. But it wasn't ready for the woodland creatures. Three of them appeared in its rear and promptly placed four critical points of damage on its back. The Titan exploded tremendously in a supernova that took out two of my warhounds. In one moment, a bunch of woodland creatures ran out of the woods and took out three of my titans. <sighs> yes, Titanicus is a fantastic game, and I put in some really random rules into this event, and they really stabbed me in the back. Fairly literally. And uh, yeah, it was delightful and wonderful and everything I wanted out of a game of Titanicus. Um, yeah. So just for clarification how that happened, my Reaver Titan was pretty well cored out. Um, had suffered no critical damage, but was at the plus two on his damage track. I then get six 
strength four hits in the rear. So that's an effective six strength eight hits. Uh, the six strength eight hits all were fours and fives, so they just finished me off. It was fairly impressive. Uh, the Titan then went out supernova, criti applying some critical damage to my two Warhounds that had already taken a little bit of damage here and there already. Absolutely fantastic, and a moment that I'm sure AJ will not let me forget. And I hope he doesn't, because it so rarely happens, and it was, yeah, a beautiful moment. And with that, we shall bring this show to a close. I'm going to probably keep on referring to the Iron Halo 2021, the duration of the next year, as it becomes a touchstone for future topics of conversation on this podcast. But right about now, I'm ready to close the file on it and move on and look to the future. So until next time, I wish you all well and good fortune. And wish me luck as I go back to school, I guess. Gosh. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus game produced by Games Workshop. This show was written, recorded, and edited by Martin Emery. This podcast is completely unofficial and in no way endorsed by Games Workshop Limited. No challenge to any trademarks or copyrights have been intended. All rights are reserved by the respective owners. If you have any questions of the show, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com or reach out to me through Twitter or Facebook. So until next time, I wish you all good fortune. Thank you.